Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CXCast. This is Sam Stern. I am joined in studio by my colleague, by the person who sits next to me in the office, Tony Costa. Hello, Tony. Hello. We're going to talk about Tony's recent report. It came out in January of 2017, How to Do Research for Customer Journey Mapping. So, Tony, let me turn your title into a question. How do you do research for customer journey mapping? <laughs> An interesting question. You know, one of the things that we talked a lot about at Forrester is journey mapping. And one of the things that came up talking to people is that you know, typically when people think about doing research for journey mapping, they primarily think about, you know, how to sort of uncover customer behaviors or track customer behaviors yep. as they try to achieve some goal, right? Submit a claim, you know, pay a bill, yep. something like that. And so they think about primarily that specific journey. But when you're actually doing research for customer journey mapping, you're actually doing research for the entire journey mapping effort. And that effort mm. goes beyond the scope of just the journey itself. So if you think about the idea that, well, you know, we're going to make suggestions and improvements, and that's going to require us to build a business case. Yep. Some of the research you're going to be doing for the journey mapping is going to involve quantifying some of those behaviors, developing that into a business case, and so gathering some of that background information on that. Some of it's going to have to do with getting organizational buy-in and support, and so you want to do research for that. So the key thing when you think about research for customer journey mapping is not to just think of the map itself, yeah. but to think about the overall broader initiative that you're running and what's the type of research you need to do to support that entire initiative, not just the map itself? Okay. No, that's a really good point because research is a word that can be used in, in slightly different ways. And what you're suggesting is a broader use of the word research here, which is everything to help you prepare for the journey mapping effort, not just research in maybe the big R form of research, uh, you know, studies mm -hmm. and observations to uncover what we need for this mm -hmm. journey mapping effort. So I'm glad to have that clarification because I was thinking about big R research related mm -hmm. to the pain points. Okay, so tell us a little bit, maybe let's break it into chunks here, because in your report, I don't think I'm giving anything away, you talk about that there's four sort of activities you would do in this research. So can you maybe go through those quickly and, and share an example or two? Yep. So the first one is around establishing a solid foundation for the research. In yep. some sense, that's sort of dotting your I's and crossing your T's, getting everything in place. And so that involves going out and finding research that already exists within your organization that can help you, right? There's no reason to go back and rehash the same territory that you've right. done in the past. So part of it is gathering that. And in some cases, that can be really powerful. One bank, when they were starting out journey mapping, they were starting from scratch. But what they did is sort of, in some sense, mapped out a really high-level arc of what is involved in their customer experience. And then they sent out different people into the organization to bring in different surveys, studies, research mm. they had found, voice of customer information, other types of things that they had gathered, which can help them answer some basic questions of yeah. you know, who are our customers, how do they feel about onboarding, how do they feel about this. This stuff existed in the organization already. But it had never been aggregated and put together in, in a way that became really sort of a foundation piece for being in a good place to then say, hey, now what actual research do we need to now go off and do for the journey to fill in all the gaps mm. or to capture things that we haven't gotten before? Because often like people, you know, you say, hey, we want to do research to understand the onboarding process better. <laughs> it's like, well, we just did surveys last year on that and we have VOC data yeah. on that. Why are we redoing the same thing? Right. So part of it's, you know, taking advantage of what you have, but also going beyond that and sort of saying, like, we have this information, but we need right. to go off and get these other areas because we have gaps that's great. that we need to fill. I mean, that seems like, too, that's just a win, 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 at least three mm -hmm. wins, probably more than I'm not thinking of. But win saves you time. Yep. If there's studies that have been done in an area where you have questions, use that existing data. Second win, make more use of 
studies you've already conducted, mm -hmm. right? Suddenly you're monetizing them or you're amortizing them over more uses. Yep. And third, rather than stepping on the toes of those people who did last year's onboarding research, you're showing that you value their work and that you respect it mm -hmm. and you're you care enough to seek them out and, and be a consumer for it. So it probably draws them in rather than sort of saying, oh, who do they think they are researching on boarding? I researched on boarding. So I, that sounds like a really great step to take in this process. Yeah, and it's kind of a, an interesting because if you think about the journey map as being a, a really convenient or efficient way of bringing together research from across the organization and putting it in the yeah. context of what the customer does. Yeah. Oftentimes we just see it in isolation. These, these are survey results. Right. You know, but put it embedding those survey results in terms of what that customer had done yeah. over the course of that journey, it just brings it to life. It yeah. really makes it accessible in a way that just looking at a pie chart or a bar graph on a slide doesn't do for you. Yeah. That's and a so, great point. I mean, it's it's a very useful tool. In some organizations, GM did this and they did an end-to-end -end journey map of the entire ownership experience. And then they turned that journey map literally into a way to navigate and browse their research. And hmm. so you could literally go to portions. I'm interested in this portion of the journey map and you can literally click on that slide or that portion of the slide. It linked to another part of the deck which would have more information and you could start drilling down to get to specific videos and verbatims and survey results. And it was all organized along the journey. And right. it became a way to sort of navigate and browse and digest it because there are so many bits of research scattered across the organization. It just became a way for them yeah. to begin consolidating it. So anybody can go in if it's an engineer, whether it's a dealership, whoever it is, can go in and start looking at that information and digesting it in a way that works. That's great. You're cataloging it all, but it's then sort of a little bit choose your own adventure, right? The the dealer or the engineer or another role can go to the part that they care most about. Yeah. Okay, so you've hit on that sort of establish, right, mm -hmm. going out. What is uh, the next activity? So the next one is really around educating employees on who the customer is and what they care about. And sometimes this can be just a little bit about reorienting your employees around yeah. who the customer is. So one organization, they were sort of looking at executives, and the executives had a lot of experience with sort of the premier customers, the customers who tend to get the white glove treatment you know, they sort of lavish attention on these big, you know, profitable customers. But they were trying to do research on sort of the average Joe customer, you know, who doesn't get this white glove right. treatment. And right. they had to find a way to help maybe reset the executive expectations or understanding of what these customers go through because they just weren't people they tended to interact with a yeah. lot. And so they actually went back to some research and they had pulled out a series of interviews and turned them into videos that they then could play for the executives to help resensitize them to these other customers, which they don't have deep exposure yeah. to on a daily basis. Hmm. And that just sort of helped reset their expectation and shift their perspective to, for this study, these are the people we're really looking at. Because otherwise, they'd come in with this expectation of, you know, what are you talking about? We have like this great service for right. these customers. We do all these things for them. So, right. Well, no, those are the white glove customers who are getting preferential treatment because they're really important to the company. We're not looking at those. We're looking at these other people who have different needs and expectations and experiences and perceptions of interacting with the brand. I like that because I think it would be really easy to then, as you get into that process, default back to the customer you know best or the way of delivering an experience interaction you know best. And here you're saying, no, we're specifically looking at this other group and the video and, and sort of that more visceral reminder of who this person is and what their interaction is like is, is required to sort of jolt people almost yeah. out of that. Yeah, and so you could think about, you know, almost before you go into doing exercises with your employees, you know, even if it's creating that hypothesis journey map, are they coming in with the right frame of mind and the right data set for what you're trying to do? And as you're doing the research for journey mapping, part of it is about educating your employees about the customers you're actually looking at so that they're coming in with the right frame of mind. 
Because sometimes there are just disconnects, right? There are gaps in knowledge in terms of how people think about it. What you're getting at is don't let them default to their assumptions. And you, yourself, person setting up this journey mapping workshop, don't default to your own assumptions. Don't assume everyone has the same view of Mm -hmm. what we're mapping or who this customer is as you do. And assume they don't, right? And that you need to get everyone on the same page so that you can make that session more productive and not have each other, you know, not have a drag down argument about what would actually happen at this step in the journey. Yeah, exactly. You know, the worst thing that happened in sort of a lot of research is, you know, people are arguing over a point with just fundamental different assumptions in the back of their head. And they think they're agreeing or disagreeing, but they might not be. It might be, you know, we're agreeing for completely different reasons. Right. um, And that's just buried in those assumptions. Or we're disagreeing just because we have a fundamental disagreement on who the customer was in the first place. Right. And so you're kind of arguing cross purposes. So the more you can get people aligned and oriented in terms of exactly who you're focusing on, what's important to them, that's all goodness down the road. So the third area that came up was this idea of this is kind of what people typically think about when they do journey mapping, which is documenting the journey and the customer's experience. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole variety of research techniques that people can use and are using today to do that. Most often people think about doing interviews, one-on-one in-depth interviews, whether virtually or in in person. That's definitely something that, you know, is sort of a core research technique to do it. But the techniques can go way beyond doing that. I mean, interviews are great, but, you know, if you could actually observe your customers doing the actual tasks, so literally observing them you know, interacting with a broker, you know, going to a physician or scheduling an appointment or even just trying to understand a bill and figure out how much they have to pay for that bill, you know, you sort of discover things that aren't really apparent. Part of the problem with an interview is if you don't know to ask the question, you never get that bit of information. And sometimes when you're doing direct observation, things start jumping out that it's like, oh, wow, we never even realized we should be asking about that or that's a real issue. Right. Right. It may be, you know, the wording is fine, but the type is so small they can't read it because they have poor eyesight. You probably never would have thought to think about that yeah. in redesigning the bill, but that might be an issue for, you know, certain customers or older consumers yeah. or whatnot. And when you actually sit there and observe customers doing these things, they start jumping out of like, oh, you know, we just didn't have that. It's in some sense, it's a blind spot. Yeah. And so by getting into that environment and observing them doing it, you start seeing these things that just you're not aware of or you're not concerned about or you don't really think about when you're doing that. And you can go beyond that, right? If you think about, you know, mobile behaviors, one of the challenges of mobile is that it's so sporadic and spread out over time, right? People are dipping in and out of their cell phone, their smartphone all the time. They may be using the app, then they'll go do something else. They'll come back to the app. That's very hard behavior to capture in an interview because one is the customer doesn't really think about it because it's just part of the fluid of life. And the other thing is, you know, it's happening over long periods of time in very short intervals. And so in cases like that, sometimes companies are doing things like diary studies, yeah, where every time the customer goes to the app, it's asking them a few questions or it's having them record that transaction. So you can capture these interactions that occur over long periods of time and give you a better picture of it, because that's just something that's very hard for you to capture in an interview, because people will tend to generalize or not remember, or they might remember certain instances, but not the overall. Yeah, they'll leave out, you know, 10 of the more micro part interactions that maybe comprise the entire whole, but don't seem as salient as the time they finally clicked pay in the app or they did the research up front, mm-hmm. right? So you're getting this, as you're saying, incomplete version of the journey. And I, I really like your point too about the context of what of their situation when they're, say, looking mm-hmm. at the bill from you because there can be so much in that context that you'll pick up as the researcher that they wouldn't because it's their daily context. It has faded into background, mm-hmm. right, of their desk or wherever they open their mail or, you know, how many tabs they have open in their mm-hmm. browser if they're doing it electronically 
And that's something that you can pick up that they can't ever tell you about because it's not a salient point to them. And as you said, when we think of research for journey mapping, this is what we're thinking about is getting those details, the nuance, the information from customers about their journey that you want to map. That's traditionally what we think of as journey mapping research and and here certainly still part of how you do journey mapping research. That's sort of a big bulk of the the doing the research portion is going out and collecting this information from customers or on customers around what they're doing to construct that journey map. Do you recommend for clients that they inevitably have a sense of how the journey goes or what people do? They have assumptions. As we were talking about, they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the same sets of assumptions in different parts of the company. Is it helpful to write those down, document those as sort of a hypothesis that then the research can test? Or do you want to intentionally try to push those aside so that research can be a little more exploratory? It's a little bit of both. When you create a sort of a hypothesis journey map, which is kind of like that journey map you're creating based on your assumptions and your subject matter expertise and what you know of the experience and what the customer is going through, so that inside-out view. That's useful in a couple ways. One is that when you do the research for the journey map, that hypothesis, you're not necessarily validating it. What you're doing is using that hypothesis to frame the research protocol you're going to go off and do. You start thinking about what are the different tasks we want to start asking about? What are assumptions we have that we want to actually probe on to see if they're true or not? Yeah. So it's not so much, you know, we think we got it right. We're just going to confirm that we got it right. It's more, here's what we're assuming is going on. Now let's identify the questions we need to ask to test whether or not you know, customers are actually doing what we think they're doing. So it's a little bit of a different. It's even like a, a prototype test isn't yeah. a confirmation test. It's a learning test. Okay, that's really good threading of the needle there mm-hmm. of my question, which had assumptions built in as we talked yeah. about assumptions. But the idea that, yes, we're going to formulate what we think we know and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. where we think the boundaries of this are, but we want to be very open to the fact that we may have the guardrails in the wrong place. We may have assumptions here that will break down once we push on them and test them with customers, not to say valid or invalid, but actually where do we shift this picture of what happens in this journey? One of the other nice things about sort of that hypothesis, that sort of internal view, is that it provides a benchmark for how aligned you are with your customers. Mm. So as you're doing the research, you can get a sense of, you know, we're pretty much on, we're kind of missing it on the fringes, you know, there are details we're missing, but in general as a company, we're pretty much on the same page in terms of what customers are perceiving. Yeah. Or it might be, wow, we are <laughs> way off base and we got it completely Yikes. wrong. <laughs> and the things we thought were important to the customers, the customer could care less about and the things that are on the customer's radar are things that we're not even concerned about. Yeah. Right. And and, and that's useful for a couple of things. One is, you know, you come back and sort of say, you know, as an organization, if you are way off, we need to have a bigger sort of discussion yeah. around our customers yeah. and reorienting our employees around what's important and what right. matters to them and just education. If you're pretty close, it may be, hey, guys, we're on, but we're missing, you know, three things. And here are the three things right. we're kind of missing. And so in some sense, it goes back to the sort of the culture change and customer centricity training that you're doing in your organization of how big of an effort or how big of a gap you have to close there. Because, you know, if people have assumptions, you go out and do the research and you find that they're off. When you come back and present findings, you know, if those findings are miles off of what they were telling you initially, they're going to reject them. Right. You're going to have to move them quite a bit to get them to see it from the customer's perspective right. because they're just going to say, that doesn't jive with what I'm thinking. That's not the right direction. You know, you must have yeah. missed something in your research or gotten a bad sample, right? And so you need to close that gap before you can sort of in some sense sell them on the improvements because they're not bought into the conclusions that you're coming to because they're so far away from it. That's a really good point. And I think to your point, it does help at least to document ahead of time what our assumptions were. Mm-hmm. 
so that we can go back to it and not say, oh, yeah, customers, this is what they believe. It's way over here, different from our assumptions. And that's what we think, too. It's like, well, no, we need a record of what we thought we believed so we, we don't update our priors to match what we're now seeing. But then also, you need to very carefully, once you've got that firm evidence that they can anchor to mm-hmm. of what they believed, you need to very carefully inch them over because people will cling on. They'll hold on to those beliefs. They'll challenge, as you said, they'll challenge the validity of your research or the questions you ask because easier to do that and assume you're wrong than to have to face the fact that they were wrong, that they had the wrong assumptions. That's a difficult mental exercise for any individual. This is not casting aspersions on these people. It's reflecting what's the reality of how we think and, and how we sort of process new information. Yeah, in some sense, you know, all those assumptions employees have are the foundation for your conclusions. And if you're trying to convince them of certain conclusions and their foundation is incorrect for that, you know, that those two things just don't go together. You're going to have to rebuild that foundation before they're willing to sort of accept those insights and conclusions coming out of that research. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Well, Tony, thank you for joining us in the studio and sharing some of the framework and the details about your report, How to Do Research for Customer Journey Mapping. Listeners, as always, will post a link to that in the show notes. You can go read it. There's a lot more detail there. Tony uh, has quite a rundown of all the different types of research you can do and a really nice graphic uh, up at the top that I like that, that sort of breaks us down. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for joining another episode of CXCast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.